I have so looked forward to be able to bring this message today. Now, we missed our family 101, a Sunday school this morning, but I'm excited to bring this message about marriage. Do you guys remember a trilogy that came out in 2001 through 2003, Lord of the Rings? Uh, You know, if you were to ask different people what Lord of the Rings meant, what you saw all three of those uh, movies, some would say it's a civilization against uh, savagery. Some would say it's an age of loss of innocence, a struggle to build civilization. Maybe some would say man's inerrant evil. I just like to break it down what we saw as viewers uh, when we watched the movies, or maybe you read the, the uh, trilogy of books. But uh, I saw that the rings had such power to make the holder, the beholder of the ring, Lord of the earth. The characters wanting to be Lord, they wanted those rings. Good people wanted the rings. Evil people wanted the rings. The evil people uh, lusted for it. The good people were tempted to want that power from those rings. The evil was Schmeagol. You guys remember him. <laughs> Schmeagol, Gollum, they called him. He was a scrawny, uh, sickly-looking uh, 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 man that won those rings. And you remember that he would, in a high-pitched voice, I'm not going to mock that voice, but uh, give me the rings. He wanted those rings. And then, of course, there was uh, a Sauron. He created the rings. There was Saruman. Uh, These were evil characters. Good characters were. Occasionally, some of the good guys were tempted. Frodo was uh, tempted for the rings. Uh, Bilbo was tempted. Sam, not so much. Sam did hold the rings to keep them from evil. Uh, But when uh, Frodo asked for the ring back, Sam gave them, reluctantly, gave them back up. But uh, here's my point. There is always a struggle for power in everything in life. Overall, this is a great theme for this message today. Who is Lord of the wedding rings? The husband? No. The wife? No. Ah, it must be the Lord Jesus himself. Leaving the church parking lot one day, mom asked eight-year-old son, what did you talk about in Sunday school today? And uh, he he said, well, the teacher talked about marriage and eight years old. And the mom said, really? Uh, She said, tell me, what did you learn about marriage? And you could see the gears turning on this little boy. His eyebrows went in and he was thinking real deep. And then he said, Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. You know, there's a lot of truth to that humor. Uh, One observed that marriage is like flies hanging around a screen door in the summertime. Those on the outside want in, and those on the inside want out. You know, America, uh, the fact is, America has become less likely to marry. It's obvious that marriage is under attack. It is obvious that we have neglected marriage. So, the Lord of the Rings is not the husband It's not the wife. It's not even the couple. And it's especially not the children. The Lord of the rings, marriage rings, is God Almighty himself. He is sovereign by God's very nature, his character, his knowledge, his wisdom, his power. He is Lord. 
of the marriage rings. Malachi chapter 2 and verse 15 says, Take heed then to your spirit and let no one deal treacherously against the wife of your youth. We have an obligation, husbands. We have an obligation to honor, to protect the rings that God has given us. I'm speaking of the marriage covenant. Now hear me out. The objectives of these sermons each week is not intended to be critical of anyone that may not have a good marriage. I am sorry. Uh, And we can pray for folk that don't have a good marriage. But these messages... are about God's ideal for marriage, your marriage. And I want us as disciples of Jesus to have a better grasp of God's, uh, the Lord's purpose and design in marriage, biblical information, true wisdom, knowledge, so we can fight the good fight of the faith and have strong marriages. Marriage was designed by the heart of God, designed in the heart of God. In Genesis chapter 1 and 27 and 28, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Subdue it. Now, in a worldly worldview, people don't see the need of marriage anymore. Uh, What's the point of marriage? I can have a decent relationship without a piece of paper. Personal gratification. The difference difference between a worldly worldview and a Christian worldview is the personal gratification has become the goal. What's in it for me? Will my needs be met? It's like a a potluck dinner. You, you, You bring something and I bring something, and that's what people do to treat marriage anymore. I'll do so much if you do so much, and we barter the relationship. You know, that's the world view is a contract. The Christian worldview is a covenant made by God Himself. Sexual, financial, emotional gratification is now in abundance outside of marriage. So why look in to marriage and investigate what it's all about? As a result, marriage is no longer viewed as two things. One is sacred. It is holy. It is God-ordained. And the second one is it is spiritual. And we've reached an age where we're not interested in either one of those things. And so uh, if that's all there is to marriage, why bother? We really do live in a humanistic and hedonistic society. So let's go back to the beginning for the answer as to why we should make this holy covenant in Genesis, the second chapter, a text that we read uh, last week in verses 18 through 24, 18 through 24 of Genesis chapter 2. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the cattle, and to the birds of the sky, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. 
and he slept. Then he took one of the ribs, one of his ribs, and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife and they shall be one flesh. You know, uh, God's uh, idea of marriage well, it can also be seen in uh, Malachi chapter 2, verse 14, uh, where they were having a difficulty in bowing to the Lord God of Israel. They were having trouble being faithful uh, to the commandments and to the sacrifices and even to their marriage. In 14 it says, Yet you say, for what reason? Because the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth, against whom you have dealt treacherously, though she is your companion and your wife by what? By co covenant, exactly. So marriage is God's idea. Uh, it is His creation. Our Lord Jesus Himself affirmed that marriage is God's idea. Look, look over quickly to Matthew in Matthew chapter 19 and verse 6. Matthew 19 verse 6 reads, So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, what? Let no man separate. Let no man separate. At the creation in Genesis, God boasted that everything had, uh, that he made was good except for when he had made Adam, he said, it is not good that Adam is alone. It is not good that for man to be alone. Adam's aloneness was a result of having no one around him that could be an adequate partner for him. Adam was created in the image of God, but he was not complete, meaning the total idea and plan of God had not been fulfilled just because he made man. There had to be this, uh, th this uh, object lesson for Adam to realize he was not complete with everything of the creation. As beautiful, as unique, and as special as it was, he was missing something, and it was Eve. There was something missing to fulfill the emotional needs, the physical needs, the psychological needs. There was no one in his life to give biological, psychological, or spiritual balance to this, in this unique uh, situation of being made in God's image. So Adam was uh, the sole piece to the puzzle, and there was not a counterpart piece of the puzzle for Adam to enjoy. And God said, this is not good. And so God took a rib from Adam's side and created Eve. And after seeing Eve, Adam realized that God had made female for man. And she resonated to him, her very presence, the companionship that they had resonated for him. And he said, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, one flesh. And so marriage between man and woman is God's idea. And all the animals of creation had a counterpart but Adam. Now, look around today. Man, men and women are, are, are always searching and they can't find it. 
Now, I'm not saying that men and women have to marry today. Uh, you, you can enjoy singleness as a Christian man or a Christian woman. But look at when they, they don't want to choose biblical marriage in a Christian worldview, they will seek out anything and everything out here in, in this world because of a worldly worldview, they will seek out anything that really can destroy them, many of the things they choose. They will pursue anything spiritually, emotionally, psychologically, some cases even physically, they will choose a hedonistic lifestyle that brings complications and troubles. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 11 and 12, it reads this way. However, in the Lord, neither is woman independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. How so? Verse 12 points out, For as the woman originates from the man, so also the man has his birth through the woman, and all things originated from God. And so there is no one that has the trump card and says that I'm over you. I'm better than you. We both are from each other. In verse 11, this translation says, however. Other translation says, nevertheless. And uh, the words of caution, lest man uh, tries to express subordination of woman to man uh, in an exaggerated or in a perverted level. Pulpit commentary said in verse 11, he said that this verse meant uh, that it was to correct the tendency that man had to domineer over anyone, especially in this case, woman. It, 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 if a man was to assert any type of a self-given power in an arrogant way, and this verse shows us that we are not supposed to do that. It is this oneness that is a primary purpose in marriage, not one flesh in the physical union, sexual union, but that and more. Now, a wise man back at the house is going to work on and that more. See, we, we understand the flesh. We, we live in the flesh. We are of the flesh. But it's that and more that we need to work on when you're back at the house with your your companion in this world. Adam and Eve are equal in worth, but they are different in uh, role function. They are different in design. Opposites attract and complement one another. We all come with scars, and the longer you stay married, you will have the scars of life, but you have got them together. You, you got your scars as a couple. Listen, those scars complement one another. Their shared experiences, their trials you went through together, their triumphs you went through together, their challenges and victories you went through together, they create growth in the relationship. And there's a lot of memories as you get older. Hang in there. Tough it out. Get counseling if you need to. Switch from a worldly worldview to a Christian worldview and enjoy what God has for us. And so it's why grandpa can start a sentence and grandma can finish the sentence. It's why grandma cries and grandpa tastes the salt. It's why uh, that we knowing that grandpa is going through a hard time and he hasn't spoke a word, but grandma knows what it is and she feels it, she senses it because there's companionship in the home.
And it takes time and effort. It takes sweat. It takes tenacity to work together. Christian worldview, understanding that God gave us marriage and we do His will in our life. Marriage is uh, directed by God. I believe uh, with all my heart that God wants our marriages to be successful. He wants them to be filled with joy. He wants your marriage to be full of love. He wants them to work. I also believe that He has given us all the resources to make them work if we will work them. We have the teachings of Jesus to feed us correct attitudes. The teachings of Jesus share with us how we could share grace in the relationship, how we offer mercy in the relationship, and how we offer forgiveness in our home to our spouse, to our children, our children to their parents. And so next is marriage is sustained through the Spirit of God sustained through the Spirit of God. Let me have you turn over to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 14 through 18. This marriage is sustained through the Spirit of God. We find in 14 through 18, talking about entering into covenants with uh, unholy people. And he's asking us not to do that. Marriage is a covenant. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? As you read this and you're a parent and your children are at home, think about your children dating uh, non-Christians in, in their dating life. Verse 15. What harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord. And do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you. And I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. This text reveals how God feels about people entering into covenant with non-Christians. Now listen, I know that's a moot point for you that are already married to non-Christians. It might have been that you both were not Christian when you married and then you became a convert to Christ yet later. But, but for people who have a choice and they're a Christian and they're considering marrying someone that's not a Christian, listen to what the text is saying. But if you're already married to a non-Christian, Paul had something to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 for your situation. But right now, for the single and single again folk listening to this message, listen, verse 16, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. If you're dating someone who... They are trying their best to not be a Christian. You need to pay attention to that. They make disparaging comments about the faith of Christianity. Uh, they tolerate the church, or they're intolerant of the church. They speak ill of Jesus. They disrespect God. And if you continue to date and fall in love, you're going to be asking someone, will you marry you two together? And yet you're going to face the rest of your life with someone 
that has spoken up front, hey, that's not for me, lay off. I want no part of that. And we need to think about it. I'm here to tell you the honest truth. There is enough confusion. There's enough heartbreak and heartache. There's enough frustration and anger and bruised egos in marriage without ever bringing in someone that does not love your Jesus the way you do. That's just the way it is. It's the Holy Spirit's desire that we live out our marriages in grace, in wholesomeness, in love, and in forgiveness. And so, I wanted to bring away of an illustration and say, what if, we came, what if we came in to worship next Lord's Day? And instead of the beautiful praise music that we sang this morning, we sing show tunes. We, we sing movie show tunes. I mean, climb every mountain, ford every stream, follow every rainbow till you find your dream. Or, or just a spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down. And, and then instead of a message from the Word of God, we show uh, reruns of Jerry Seinfeld. We, we show Everybody Loves Raymond or Home Improvement or Friends or The Big Bang Theory. And then just to make us feel good, we have a prayer and we go home. Now, what about that? How would you feel about that? Is, this build, is that what this building was dedicated for? This is where we worship God Almighty. We have spent a lot of money on this building. And how, how dare we bring something, according to that text, we bring something unholy, we bring something pagan into our worship. This is about God. This is about Jesus Christ. And it's not about us. But wait, the Lord has said, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. That should wake us up as to what we invite into our lives. You were bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. And yet we pursue relationships for a lifetime with someone who doesn't love your Jesus. Who when children come along, the deal was when you got married, the children would go with you to worship. And then they renege on that deal because they want to take the kids fishing on Sunday morning and you go off to worship by yourself or whatever else they want to do with the children, sleep in, whatever it might be, but you will find yourself alone. And so, church, there is some music we just shouldn't listen to. I'm not all music is bad. I'm just saying there's some that we shouldn't listen to. There are TV shows. We just ought to change the channel or turn off the TV. There's places for vacation. We just shouldn't go. That just does not fit our Christian world view. Our faith will pull us in one direction. And if you're married to someone that is not of the faith, they are going to just naturally, nothing against you as a spouse, but they're, they're just not going to pull in the same direction. And so you're seeking that, that harmony, that harmony. I want to read from uh, the message on this same text. It says, don't become partners with those who reject God. How can you make a partnership out of right and wrong? That's not partnership, that's war. Is light uh, best friends with dark? Does Christ go strolling with the devil? Do trust and mistrust hold hands? 
Who would think of setting up pagan idols in God's holy temple? But that's exactly what we are. Each of us, a temple in whom God lives. God himself put it this way. I'll live in them, move into them. I'll be their God and they'll be my people. So leave the corruption and compromise. Leave it for good, says God. Don't link up with these who will pollute you. I want you all for myself. I'll be a father to you. You'll be sons and daughters to me. The word of the master, God. Now, now people, you know and I know that we have wonderful non-Christian friends. We love them. We enjoy their fellowship. But we're not going to marry. We're not entering into a covenant with them. We enjoy. We want them to come and enjoy our Jesus in worship the way we do. We want them to know and understand salvation and to be free from sin. We want them to understand the joy of walking in the Lord and the Holy Spirit in our life. We want that for them. But don't marry someone saying, oh, I'll change them. Oh, they'll convert to Christ when we get married. That'd be like saying I'm going to change an alcoholic just because you got married. Think about what we're doing. And so, in conclusion... The Christian custom of placing the wedding ring on the hand actually wasn't Christian in the beginning. It, was, it, it came from the Greeks. The ancient Greeks believed that a certain vein, the vein of love, came from the third finger and went up the arm to the heart. And so uh, when you put those rings on each other's finger, a part of you is saying, I give you my whole heart. I want your whole heart. And both of you are saying in that ceremony, I give you my whole heart. Now, when the early Christians exchanged rings, they worked their way across the hand, beginning with the index finger to the ring finger. They would put the ring on the index finger and say, in the name of the Father. Down the middle finger, in the name of the Son. And the ring finger, in the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen. In essence, I believe what they were saying is, our marriage will begin with a commitment to God. So my last, my last sentence, my last phrase, my last line today to you is, are you committed to God? Give me a call. If you want to place faith in Jesus Christ, man, there are people here that would thrill to hear your confession. If you want to repent of sins, you can, you can pray to God yourself privately. And, and pray to him and confess your sins to him in private prayer. You can confess Jesus Christ, that you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, from this day and forever. And you can ask a friend, a minister, to baptize you. You can go into that watery grave and put on Christ and be raised to walk in newness of life. Give us a call. God bless you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word today. In confusing and crazy times, God, where people don't see the need of this covenant, may the Christians see the need of the covenant as we covenant before you when we marry our spouse and that we are faithful to each other and we are faithful to you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.